Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman. Thank you for being here again, Bishop, for another episode of Truth and Charity. Appreciate it. You're welcome, Kyle. Great to be here. And we have Pentecost this Sunday. So thought maybe we have a, a different prayer for today. Well, it would be appropriate to pray the Come Holy Spirit. I pray this prayer a lot, often before any meetings and um well, I think with the celebration of the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, this would be a good prayer to begin today. All right, great. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This week, Bishop shares his reflections on the recent priesthood ordination mass that brought three new priests to our diocese. Hear him talk about the highlights of his homily, which hit on the Good Shepherd Gospel, and an illness that Bishop said should be an impediment to becoming a priest, something called staurophobia. Then it's on to recent pro-life legislative victories on the state level, and the need to protect all unborn children, as well as support moms in need. And also, Bishop discusses the Pope's recent declaration called, You Are the Light of the World, which he calls a significant move forward for the Universal Church, as it calls for new ways to deal with allegations of abuse or negligence against bishops. Afterwards, it's on to Pentecost Sunday and the ancient Pentecost hymn, Come Creator Spirit. The show wraps up with Bishop Rhodes answering questions submitted by listeners. Submit yours by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop or download the free Redeemer Radio app and go to Ask Your Questions. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman and last Saturday we had our ordination mass for three brand new priests here in the diocese. Very exciting. Such a, a joyous time for all of those in the diocese. And I thought maybe you could share a few reflections from the day. Well, you know, priesthood ordination is certainly one of the highlights of the year for me and for our priests and and uh, the faithful of the diocese. And, you know, God's really been blessing us. I mean, three new priests, um, given the size of our diocese, you know, that's pretty good. And um, I mean, last year we had five yeah. and uh, this year three. And it really was uh, a joy for me to lay hands on uh, those three young men. Uh, Spencer St. Louis, now I should say Father, uh-huh. Father Spencer, Father Jose Arroyo, and Father Daniel Neeser. Uh-huh. It really was. I mean, it was a joyful liturgy. The three men chose the readings for the ordination mass. And I always love preparing ordination homilies because I reflect on the readings that they have chosen. And they choose the readings from those options that are in the lectionary for masses of ordination. And it was interesting that um, the gospel was where Jesus speaks of himself as the good shepherd. Uh So I did a reflection on that theme and how in being ordained, these 
priests, these men are configured to Jesus Christ, the shepherd of the church. And they commit themselves to, to try to imitate, to strive to imitate the love of the good shepherd, mm-hmm. the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And I spoke to them in the homily to the congregation about what that means, especially connecting it to the greatest office of the priest, which is to offer the Holy Eucharist. Because there, uh, with the celebration of the Eucharist, the sacrifice of Christ, the Good Shepherd, becomes present for us on the altar. But it's not a matter of just celebrating Mass. Yes, they receive in ordination the sacred power to confect the Eucharist. But then it's something that they are called to live Mm -hmm. by giving their lives in service of the people of God, to lay down their lives for the sheep through their service of love of God's people. One of the things that connects to that is during the rite of ordination, after they're ordained and after I anoint their hands with chrism, I present them with the paten and the chalice. And the words that, uh, that the bishop says to them when he presents them with the vessels are these. Receive the oblation of the holy people to be offered to God. Understand what you do. Imitate what you celebrate and conform your life to the mystery of the Lord's cross. Those are powerful words. In other words, they're to live the Eucharist. They're to imitate what they celebrate. And that is the self-giving love of Christ. And to conform their lives to the mystery of the Lord's cross. I used a word uh, most people had never heard of in my homily. And I said, I think there's an illness that should be an impediment to priestly ordination. And that word is staurophobia. That illness is staurophobia. Uh-huh. Well, you'd have to know Greek to know what that means. You know, phobia means fear. Stauros means cro- the cross. So fear of the cross. Uh-huh. And I said, I wouldn't ordain a man if he had staurophobia hmm. because carrying the cross is part of of the priest's life. It's part of the life of any disciple of Christ, but especially for a priest. He's not only to be an image or icon of Christ the the priest, but also Christ the victim. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I, I then got into, you know, some practical, concrete ways that a priest takes up the cross. Certainly, there's the sacrifice of obedience, you know, being willing to serve wherever he is needed. There's the sacrifice of priestly celibacy, renouncing marriage for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. You know, that's part of carrying the cross. Mm -hmm. But then there's just also everyday things where a priest is called to Put the needs of the people of God first, the needs of the church. They should have priority over his own desires. I give you an example. You know, obviously, priests are human. So there may be certain aspects of priestly ministry that they enjoy more than others. I mean, I can say that for myself. There's aspects of 
my ministry as a bishop that I enjoy more than other aspects. But we can't neglect the things that are our responsibilities, even if we don't really enjoy them as much or like them as much. Uh-huh. And that's taking up the cross. We don't pick and choose our preferences in ministry. I mean, you know, let's say you have a priest who who really doesn't like visiting the sick or going into a hospital. Uh-huh. Well, too bad. Right. I mean, that's part of our life, you know. Um, or let's say one prefers ministry to the elderly rather than ministry to youth Mm -hmm. or prefers ministry to youth rather than ministry to the elderly we don't pick and choose yeah you know we're called to serve everyone to serve all so priesthood is not about what we like or find pleasurable it's about serving christ and his people so i really hit that hard Mm -hmm. in the homily because I think that that whole idea of self-sacrificing love, I mean, that's what the Eucharist is about. That's what the priesthood is about. And we should never be satisfied with doing the minimum. I mean, we need priests who have zeal, who, you know, if they're good shepherds, good shepherds, for example, Jesus describes the role of the good shepherd, for example, goes out and seeks the lost sheep. Mm-hmm. You know, that's part of the priest's life. I think of the amount of time a priest should spend in the confessional. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that can get tiring, but, you know, we are ministers of God's mercy. We're to be there for the lost sheep and not only be there in the confessional, but also going out to the lost sheep. And there are many opportunities to do that where we meet or see uh, inactive Catholics or, or people who have no church or the millennial generation or that big increase in the number of young people who are not affiliated anymore with any religion. Sure. I really use that as example to our young priests. I said, this is your generation. You know, you're called to go out to them to evangelize that mission of evangelizing because the very nature of the priesthood of Christ is missionary. Hmm. There's a part of, of the gospel on the good shepherd. And I, I highlighted this in my homily where Jesus says, I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. These also I must lead, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock, one shepherd. So the idea that Jesus says, you know, I must lead the sheep that don't belong to this fold, I think that's really important. That gets to what I was just saying about our evangelizing mission. Mm-hmm. There are other things I spoke about in the homily, but um, I have confidence that the three men I just ordained will be good shepherds yeah. after the heart of Christ. Uh, they don't have staurophobia. Yeah. You know, they're not afraid of the cross. They're willing to make the sacrifices that are needed. And that's what it means to become a holy priest. It's not about us. It's about Christ. Yeah. Could you share a, a few examples of things that you've seen some priests do that you're like that he gets it. He's doing a great job because I mentioned the easy thing is to just stay in the church and minister to those that are coming to the church. But what are some ways that you've seen priests go out and, and do some evangelizing? Yeah, that's that's a, a, a very good question. I've been really happy when I see our priests out evangelizing. Um, well, one thing, it's not so much going out, but but I wouldn't mention it because 
I'm really happy about it is priests adding more times for confessions yeah. in the parish schedule. You know, that one hour on a Saturday afternoon isn't it doesn't do it. You know, right. we have to be more creative. You know, for example, I know in some places some of our priests have 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 been creative, set up other times. Like on a Friday afternoon, if you have a school and you're get, they're getting out and the parents are picking their kids up, why not have confessions then? Yeah. You know? Some of these parents and kids, they can go to confession, you know, or I mean, there's all kinds of creative things or or where they will um, offer to hear confessions, for example, after a wedding rehearsal uh-huh. or perhaps at a funeral home mm-hmm. when there's the the visitation or the wake. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's just a lot of creative things. I know priests, for example, who are, you know, at really my uh, my request going into prisons, mm-hmm. um, which isn't easy. You know, they're, they're very busy in the parishes. Sometimes it's a lot to get through all the, the screening and everything to get mm-hmm. into a jail. But I know priests who are making time to do that. And that's really going after the lost sheep or people that I, you know, Jesus said I was in prison and you visited me. Right. So I've seen that happen. I also know of some of our priests who've been really active on our college campuses. Sure. Now, I do assign priests to serve as part-time chaplains in our high schools. That's really important. But I also am trying to make sure that our priests are present um, on all the college campuses of the diocese, especially I'm talking about non-Catholic colleges Mm -hmm. or universities. And I know some of our priests who are doing that. So those are just uh, a few examples. I'm sure there's many more, and I'm sure there's things I don't know about. Yeah, you know, we have so many good priests, and who are um, have the zeal for evangelization, and um, are doing that in a way that um, maybe you know not many people know about it. Yeah. Well, if you want to hear more of Bishop's breakdown of what consists of an ordination mass, you can check out the May 29th episode. And if you want to hear more about the three priests and some of the behind the scenes things from the ordination mass, we're going to have a special episode on June 19th. So you can check that out. Uh, But coming up, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the current event things that are happening regarding the pro-life bills in different states and Pope Francis's recent motu proprio. That's coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and there's several different things that have happened kind of within the pro-life context in the news. A lot of divisive bills that have come out, both for and against abortion or pro-life legislation. And we've seen this in different states, some passing kind of radical abortion rights bills, and then others that are doing a lot to protect life, including these heartbeat bills. Just kind of wondered if you had any thoughts on these or what we should be thinking about or praying about as Catholic citizens. Yeah, you know, when you see these different laws being passed on the state level, it looks like perhaps it's setting the stage for a Supreme Court action, uh, looking at Roe v. Wade, uh, of course, We hope and pray that Roe v. Wade would be overturned. But yeah, there's good news and there's bad news. The bad news, of course, is those states like New York, which have, you know, have the most disturbing laws allowing abortion 
up until birth and even not requiring care for a newborn infant who survives an abortion. Right. On the other hand, a cause for hope are several states, as you mentioned, Kyle, that have banned abortion after the detection of a fetal heartbeat. So, you know, those states that have passed pro-life legislation, it's very encouraging. Mm -hmm. As we know, life is, is the most basic right. And our society needs to cherish the gift of human life and unborn children. So I'm hoping that, um, that perhaps this will lead to an overturning of Roe v. Wade. Um, this is an issue of justice for unborn children, and they should be protected as persons under the law. That's the ultimate objective. So these pro-life legislative victories in some states gives us uh, a lot of hope. And at the same time, our commitment to supporting all mothers with the resources and the care that they need, that's another extremely important part of our pro-life commitment. So it's good to applaud the states uh, that are passing pro-life legislation. And uh, hopefully it will continue. It's a very, as you know, very divisive issue, although all, uh, the polls show that the majority of Americans want to see some restrictions on abortion sure. so so what the legislation for example in new york does not have national support and at the same time uh, we are challenged for example that the majority of the americans according to polls would be in favor of exceptions in mm -hmm. the cases of rape and incest so it, it's still a lot of education is needed and we need to continue of course to pray and so this will be something interesting to watch. I imagine it will be an issue in the in the debates of presidential candidates. Sure. We have some candidates who are strongly pro-life and others who are strongly pro-choice. And um, we need to uh, be attentive to that. And uh, especially as a very important thing to consider when it comes to our voting. And as you mentioned, even amongst pro-life people, there's a lot that would say that there should be exemptions for rape and incest. Even President Trump has said, I'm pro-life, but would allow for these exemptions or would like to see these exemptions. Can you explain the, the church's teaching on these exemptions? Of course, we believe all human life, uh, unborn life is deserving of protection, including children who were conceived as a result of rape or incest. Mm -hmm. The thing is, on a practical level, a significant majority of Americans would not want to outlaw that. Ideally, that would be the best legislation. However, practically, it's it's not going to happen um, because there's not the the public support for for such restrictions. John Paul dealt with this issue in his encyclical Evangelium Vitae, where he talked about. Um, the possibility of us supporting legislation, even if it's imperfect. Okay. Okay. So pro-life legislation, for example, that isn't perfect, but will save a lot of lives yeah. we can support, but we also have to make clear that it's imperfect. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't want to give the impression that the life of any unborn children isn't sacred. You right. know, life of all unborn children is sacred. At the same time, there's only certain things that are practically possible given the political uh, situation in which we are in. 
on the opposite end of the spectrum, kind of the end of life issues seem to seems like, I don't know, maybe every five or six months, some issue comes up and it's brought back into the forefront. Uh, in France, there's a case with quadriplegic Vincent Lambert, which looks a little bit similar to Terry Schiavo's case back in 2005. Any thoughts on this whenever we're talking about the doctors switching off life support and when family members are disagreeing on how this should be handled and things like that? Well, yeah, I mean, this this case does remind me of the Terry Schiavo case. The man in France, very severely disabled, Vincent Lambert, and for over 10 years, he's been artificially fed and hydrated in a hospital in France. And, um, and then he was taken off life support. And then the French court ordered him to be returned to life support. Um, you know, the church's teaching is clear on this. We're talking here about food and, and hydration. Right. Okay. So that's not normally extraordinary means. The church doesn't require the use of extraordinary means to preserve life. But we consider the provision of food and hydration to be an ordinary means, an ordinary standard of care. It's a very serious violation of the dignity of the person to withhold food and hydration. Our hope is that um, this will continue to be provided for this disabled individual, this who, whose dignity should be respected, Vincent Lambert. And it was good to, to see that the, the court, which ruled in favor of his not being given food and hydration was overturned in uh, an appeal. So, and, and it's important to keep in mind, you know, this, this man is not uh, at the end of, of his, of his life. He's not like dying. He just needs to receive from others food and water. Um, so it would be really passive euthanasia to deny him of those things. Another issue that I thought maybe you could comment on a little bit is Pope Francis recently released a motu proprio entitled, You Are the Light of the World. I'll, I'll go with the English translation for, mm -hmm. for the sake of listeners. Uh, before we get into that, can you explain what a motu proprio is? Yeah, I mean, it's basically, that's a, a Latin word. So it, it refers to a declaration that the Pope issues on his own. Okay, um, motu proprio. And um, it's usually something that's, that's something significant when something is issued by the Pope motu proprio. And it usually has to do with norms and has to do with, with the law. And um, so this new motu proprio, vos estis lux mundi, you are the light of the world, I think was a significant move forward for the universal church. Mm -hmm. And when you read the motu proprio, it really does echo many of the practices that we're already doing in the United States. You know, the essential norms and the charter mm -hmm. for the protection of children and young people. These have been in force in our country since 2002. It includes things like our commitment to assist victims. It includes our duty to follow the civil law and report allegations of sexual abuse of minors to civil authorities. That's something we've been doing. Of course, 
the idea that there needs to be a, a prompt and objective examination or investigation of mm -hmm. any allegations that are brought forward, the importance of having lay involvement in this. Of course, we all have our diocesan review boards, which are mostly comprised of laity who are expert in various fields mm -hmm. in this area. So I think the motu proprio is, is important for the, the universal church because there are many countries where they didn't have such developed norms and practices as we have had in the United States. At the same time, there's some new things that also affect us. For example, how to deal with accusations or allegations against bishops. Mm -hmm. That was not included in the charter. That was a serious lack or lacuna of the law. <laughs> so, the motu proprio gives guidance and and direction about reporting abuse or not just abuse by bishops, but also negligence by bishops okay. in handling these cases. Mm -hmm. Now, some of this, of course, came to the fore because of former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick. Mm -hmm. And um, so this is, is really important. Um, that bishops need to be held accountable, not only regarding their own behavior, but also how they handle cases of sexual abuse of minors. Another thing that's that's mentioned in that's also quite important is the issue of sexual abuse of vulnerable persons. So besides minors, there's also the issue of and we've already had this in our charter where we, we speak of uh, vulnerable adults, but we're, we're speaking of those maybe who have mental illness or whatever or sure. developmental issues and um, lacking the use of reason or whatever. But now that's even expanded further. It would include, for example, adults who are vulnerable because, you know, they're like seminarians mm -hmm. or parishioners. You know, who even though they may be adults, the abuse of power by a cleric. Uh, so that's also dealt with in the motu proprio. And that's something that we're working on dealing with cases like that in our diocese or in the church in the United States, because really the charter had to do more with the protection of minors. Mm -hmm. But now we're also moving into the area of protection of these vulnerable adults. The norms of this motu proprio will be in effect for, for three years, and then they'll be reviewed. And I think that's important to see if it's working. Mm. There's also issues of uh, transparency, really important that we have procedures, uh, certainly the lay involvement in investigations, the idea that there be, be no cover-up, all those kinds of things are um, are treated in the motu proprio. A very important part of it is the role of the metropolitan archbishop. This is the way investigations are to be carried out on the local level when there's an accusation against uh, because of misconduct of a bishop. The metropolitan archbishop would be the one who would handle the investigation, of course, with the help of lay experts to investigate, collaboration with the civil authorities, all of that. And if an accusation is against the Metropolitan Archbishop, then the senior suffragan bishop would be the one who would do the uh, investigation. So that would be the, the, the bishop in that province that has seniority as far as 
how many years he's been a bishop. Okay. So all that is in there. Uh, gets a little complicated, but hopefully this gives the listeners a general idea. Yeah, we're also going to be discussing this quite a bit, our own particular norms for the United States at our USCCB meeting in June in Baltimore. Okay. All right. And people can find that document online on the Vatican website and it's available free. You can print it off or read it online. Uh, But also if people want more information about what's going on in this diocese, we covered that back in the October 17th 2018 episode with special guest Donald Schmid going over what's happening in the diocese and all the protections that are that are available here. So how that really has already been put into action, most of those things that you mentioned. Uh, but coming up, we are going to be talking about Pentecost, which is just around the corner. And if you have any questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260 9598. We've got more coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. And as we started the show with our Come Holy Spirit prayer, we mentioned that this Sunday is Pentecost. Can you remind us what Pentecost is? What are we celebrating? We're celebrating the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles in the upper room in Jerusalem 50 days after Easter. So it's the the last day of the Easter season. And Pentecost has traditionally been described as the birthday of the church. You know, the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples and then they're going out to spread the good news, to proclaim the gospel, to baptize all that Jesus had commanded them to do, they were fortified by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit then to continue Jesus's mission on earth. So it's a very important feast. You can read about Pentecost in the second chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. Mm-hmm. And of course, the whole uh, the, the symbol or form of the Holy Spirit coming upon them, tongues of fire, wind filled the room. So wind and fire, symbols of the Holy Spirit, the F- Holy Spirit who, who uh, gives us energy and power to bear witness to Christ. And of course, we can think about our own confirmation because I often say to the young people I confirm that confirmation is Pentecost in their lives right? because they receive the Holy Spirit and the, the gifts, same gifts of the Holy Spirit that the apostles received. And last year, you talked a little bit more about that Acts of the Apostles and the Holy Spirit coming down and speaking in tongues. But thought maybe this year, something a little bit different. There's a, a special prayer for the day. It's uh, come Holy Spirit, the Veni Sante Spiritus. Can you share a little bit about this prayer? Oh, yes. It's the... Um, it's the sequence that is is prayed at the um, during the mass on Pentecost Sunday, and really the Veni Creator Spiritus. For example, at the ordination last Saturday, it was sung after the men were ordained, as the priests were laying hands. After I had laid hands on the candidates in silence, uh-huh. uh, the choir sang the Veni Creator Spiritus. I think it's one of the most beautiful hymns in the in the history of the church. It was composed in the ninth century and it's been part of the church's prayer ever since so over a thousand years and it really is the hymn of pentecost veni creator spiritus it means come creator spirit scholars think that the author was um rabanus maurus he was an abbot in fulda in germany who later became the archbishop of mainz 
Huh. And he lived in the, as I mentioned, the ninth century, great theologian. He really knew very well the teachings of the fathers of the church. So it's interesting when he composed this hymn, you know, it has many things that are from different fathers of the church. Um, originally it was used in local churches and monasteries. It was sung and then it really spread throughout the whole church and even in Rome with the Pope and liturgy there. And from that time on, it's had this special place in the liturgy of the Catholic Church, also in the Orthodox Church and in Protestant churches, you'll hear the Veni Creator uh, sung. So it is a, a beautiful hymn. There's a wealth of theology within that hymn. It's one of those hymns that, you know, it's kind of good to um, maybe take each stanza and just meditate on it. Yeah. Um, but I, I love it. And the Latin is beautiful. And of course, there are English translations out there. I would suggest finding one that's fairly literal so that it's, it doesn't lose the, uh, the beauty. We could go through the whole thing. I would just like to mention the, um, the first verse, maybe as a way to get a taste of it. Mm -hmm. uh, Veni creator spiritus, come creator spirit. Mentes tuorum visita, visit the minds of those who are yours. Imple superna gratia, fill with heavenly grace. Que tu creasti pectora, the hearts that you have made. As I said, each stanza is, is, is very good. But, but those verbs, just think of that, visit, fill, that's what we're asking. That's what we're calling upon the Holy Spirit to visit our minds, to fill us with God's grace, to fill our hearts with heavenly grace. It really is, is quite beautiful. And I think it's important for us to reflect on the Holy Spirit because I feel like that's something that we ignore a lot in our lives. The, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit. We talk about God the Father and we can relate to what, you know, even if we don't have a, a great father figure, we understand what a good father figure is. And we know the stories of Jesus and we can relate to that maybe a little bit. But do you feel like we're missing some of the power of the Holy Spirit because we either don't understand it or we kind of ignore it? I think so. I mean, I think you're right. We can imagine much more easily. We can imagine the son because we have Jesus, uh -huh. you know the word who became flesh. So we can relate to that he took on our human nature. At the same time though, and, and the father, of course, we can relate to the idea of a father and God the father. The Holy Spirit seems a little more nebulous and I think it is a little more challenging. Uh, sometimes the Holy Spirit's been called the forgotten person hmm. of the most holy trinity. So I think it is important to cultivate devotion to the Holy Spirit. And especially, you know, looking at those passages in sacred scripture where we read about the Holy Spirit and to, to have devotion to the Holy Spirit, to pray to the Holy Spirit. We began this, this show with the prayer, come Holy Spirit. And I think that's a good thing to get into practice. I yeah. think if one prays that, one is starting to develop this relationship with the third person of the holy trinity and then as i said to to maybe meditate on those passages of scripture where 
the Holy Spirit is mentioned. We see the Holy Spirit at work throughout Scripture. I mean, you see foreshadowings in the Old Testament, even from the very first chapter of the book of Genesis, where, where it speaks of the Spirit hovering over the waters at creation. Hmm. That word is, is ruach in, in Hebrew, which means like breath, hmm. like the breath of God. So there's, there's kind of these um, indications of the third person of the Holy Trinity in the Old Testament, not explicit, but more implicit. It's not until Jesus where we have the explicit revelation of the third person of the Holy Trinity, where the Holy Spirit is specifically mentioned. I mean, right there when, when Mary conceives the Son of God in her womb, it was by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. But all through the ministry of Jesus, uh, we read how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Mm -hmm. We read that in the Acts of the Apostles. We see the appearance of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove at Jesus' baptism. And it says that, that our Lord returned to Galilee filled with the power of the Spirit. There's numerous um, references to the Holy Spirit. Of course, we're talking also about the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. But then when you read the Acts of the Apostles, the, the role of the Holy Spirit in the early church, it, I mean, it's like every page of the Acts of the Apostles, we find the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, and that was a remarkable, the remarkable things that took place during those first decades of the church's life. And that was because of the action of the Holy Spirit, who is, of course, the soul of the church. And how the Holy Spirit, which filled the apostles at Pentecost, enabled them to speak the word of God with boldness, with courage. And they had this strength and fortitude because they had been filled with the Holy Spirit. And we have to realize this is the same Holy Spirit that's... Um, that's with us today. Yeah. The same spirit that we received in the sacraments of baptism and confirmation. It's a question of our of us opening our hearts and our minds to the action of the Holy Spirit uh, within us. All right. Well, great reminder for us and help us to prepare for this Pentecost. And if you have any questions, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash askbishop call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we have a question about the focus of the gospel at Holy Thursday and more coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman asking the questions that you have submitted for him to answer. And our first question comes from Jim Hyman from St. Mary of the Assumption in Decatur, my dad. <laughs> we were talking about the Holy Thursday Mass, and he said, why isn't the Last Supper the focus of the Holy Thursday Gospel rather than the foot washing? Oh, good question. Of course, the foot washing took place at the Last Supper. Uh -huh. So that's important to recognize. So it's it wasn't more uh, the idea of the focus being on the Eucharist right, institution. Right. Um, well, it's interesting. The institution of the Eucharist at the Last Supper is recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but not in the Gospel of John. Huh. So the Gospel of John, we have the Bread of Life discourse on the Eucharist in uh -huh. chapter 6. But when John talks about the Last Supper, he just gives us the incident of the washing of the feet, as well as 
the discourse of Jesus at the Last Supper. Okay. Um, but John doesn't give us an account of the institution of the Eucharist. However, I mentioned Matthew, Mark, and Luke do, mm -hmm. but so does St. Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians. He gives us the account. And that is read at the Mass of the Lord's Supper on Holy Thursday. So if you notice at the Holy Thursday Mass, the second reading is the institution of the Eucharist. Okay. So it is there. Now, how that's developed in the homily, you know, sometimes a priest might just focus on the washing of the feet. Sure. But I usually mention both because there is a intimate connection between the two. Because the Eucharist that Jesus established in, in the homilist can, can, can refer to the second reading. Mm -hmm. Um really is lived out by service of others in love, which is what the washing of the feet is all about. So anyhow, it's a very good question from your dad, but hopefully that <laughs> brings some, some clarity that we do have the account of the institution of the Eucharist read, not in the gospel of Holy Thursday, but in the second reading, because gotcha. Paul gives us an account of the institution of the Eucharist. Right. All right. Eleanor Kramer asked, have you as yet become a Hoosier? Nah, I think I've become more a Boilermaker. No. Uh, <laughs> how, or how about a... You no, be no. careful. Or, no, I better be careful. I'm really a fighting Irish, but yeah. um, no, I think she means Hoosier in a, in a broader sense right. than uh, Indiana University. But I say yes. You know, I love being uh, a resident of Indiana. I love living here. Uh, I, I do feel like I'm, uh, even though I haven't yet learned how to play Euchre, I, I, other than that, I think I've, I've um, been integrated well into the culture of Indiana. How often have people tried to teach you Euchre? A few times, okay. uh, you know, uh, but I just haven't made the time to do it. But yeah, but, um, yeah no, it's a great state. Um, people are so friendly, except on the road. Uh, you know, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I always tease that about that, but um, no, it's it's great being a uh, Hoosier. Sure. I just wanted to share the following comment that we got. It said, thank you for being such a blessing. You truly are our shepherd. I have been at all of the Christmas Masses here at St. Matt's. This year's homily was the most heart-searching, wrenching, forgiving, reassuring, truly hope-filled I've ever heard. Father John is a gifted homilist. I am blessed to call him pastor and friend. When you address our priests as brothers, it is so moving. Jesus is truly radiated in you both. Father Julius too, down at Sacred Heart Lakeville. We remember you in our rosary prayers before daily mass at St. Jude. Wow, that's a beautiful thing and very humbling. Thank you. Um, Thank you especially for remembering me in your rosary before Mass at St. Jude's. That's, that's what keeps me going, the prayers of our people. So may God bless you and, and all the faithful at St. Jude's South Bend. Great. And we're gearing up for our 100th episode. So wanted to just toss out there anybody that would be willing and able to share additional comments, feedback. We'd love to hear from listeners. If you have a comment, you can share it 
by going to redeemerradio.com slash askbishop. Just type it into the question box and share your comment that way. If you have a favorite moment from the show, or if you'd like to leave a voicemail message, you can just call the Holy Cross College text line and leave a message that we could maybe play on that 100th episode as well. It's going to air July 3rd, so there's not a whole lot of time left, and uh, we'll need them very soon. So please submit those if you have them. And Bishop, before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Join Bishop and Kyle next week for another new episode of Truth and Charity. Topics will include the upcoming Solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity and why wisdom is personified as a female in that day's first reading and throughout the Bible. Then Bishop will talk about the upcoming Memorial of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of the Church, why we have a special devotion to the Blessed Mother's Immaculate Heart, and the Catholic Word of the Week, Theotokos. Then Bishop answers questions from listeners. If you have a question you'd like Bishop to answer, submit it by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. <laughs>